so much has already happened, and we still got a word today. <laughs> Who's ready for that? Oh, man. You know, I've been really pondering and, and praying for weeks now about everything that's been going on in our world, in our nation. Um, obviously, no, no secret to anyone here that we are under various forms of uh, strain in our nation. You know, we began this year with COVID and moved into issues of racism and injustice and then on to issues of rioting and violence and, you know, all kinds of things now with our law enforcement and government. And apparently now there's a dust storm too. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure about that one. But, um, you know, I just, I, I want to say a few things as we open up today around all of these issues and these things that are happening. And what I really want to encourage all of us to recognize and to strive for is that in all things and in all times, as people of God, Christians, followers of Christ, that we would be relentless about making sure that we hold what I would call a biblical world view, meaning everything that we look upon, everything we see, everything we evaluate, everything we attempt to form opinions about, and we will, that we do that through the lens of Scripture. We must have a biblical worldview around everything that's going on, meaning this is the ultimate authority and the ultimate governing truth around everything that we see in our lives in any given season. You, you can have a philosophical worldview. You can have a political worldview. You can have a scientific worldview, probably many others. The idea is that that worldview is really what shapes the lens by which you see the world through and by which you form your opinions around. What you cannot do is you cannot hold all worldviews equally at one time. So as people of God, we are called to have a biblical worldview towards all matters that are happening in our world and how we act on that. We can conclude clearly from Scripture a number of things Certainly things that are happening in our nation and around us. I want to just say some examples. We can see clearly from the word of God that any type of spirit or any type of mindset that would treat another person unequally or degrade them or diminish them based on the color of their skin is wrong and is evil. And as people of God, if we hold a biblical worldview, we accept that we must be against that. We must be against any form of racism or prejudice at any time. We can also look at the Bible, and I think it's very clear. We can see that God respects all life and loves all life. When it comes to matters like abortion and the protection of the unborn, I think it's very clear in Scripture that God is the author of life, and we do not have the right to take that. And so these are things that are completely clear and evident. We can see things also around 
keep going. Domestic abuse, child abuse, uh, marriage between a man and a woman. There are a handful of matters that whether we like it or not, whether it's something we like when we hear it or not, is kind of irrelevant. The fact is there are very consistent truths through Scripture that we must adopt and embrace as part of how we have our worldview. Christians can form a worldview that's not a biblical worldview. I don't know if you knew that or not. And that, to me, is probably more dangerous than atheists and agnostics who do not have a biblical worldview. In many cases, because that's where conformity begins to happen. We also look at the methods by which we take action against certain injustices, and we must rigidly adhere to Scripture in the way we approach our methods around taking action against any of those injustices. Am I making sense? So if we resort to some sort of hatred or evil to combat an injustice, then we have just moved away and departed from the integrity of Scripture and the way our methods are being used to approach that. And those methods will not be blessed. We must maintain a biblical worldview around all things. And so today, I want to share a message with us that I believe has to do with what we as Christians, as the church and the body of Christ at large, must be doing, can be doing, should be doing right now as a part of biblical worldview methods that we can be active about to help be a part of the solution and not the problem in our world today. Everybody say, I want to be a part of the solution. And so let's open our Bibles and let's go to the book of Galatians to start here in reading our text. And we're going to read Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We've got the words on the screen here up front. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For who... For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Everybody say, shall reap. If we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we just we need to hear from you, God. Speak to us today. Encourage us, Lord. Encourage us and build us up in these times and in these moments that we are in. I pray that you would just speak through me, God, clearly. If people are hearing you, Lord, in their heart, in the way that you're using me to bring forth your word, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to churches in this region of Galatia. Now, Galatia is not just a city, it's a region, and there are many churches in this region that are receiving this letter. So far as we can tell, it's the only letter that Paul 
wrote that actually went to multiple churches at one time. Some of the churches in the region of Galatia were Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. We read about these churches and their beginnings through the book of Acts as the apostles traveled and did the works of ministry after the New Testament church was birthed. And so Paul's writing these letters, this letter to these churches. And what he's doing in this letter, it's six chapters in our Bible, but it's you know one letter, one consistent letter that he wrote and sent. And what he's doing in the letter is he is combating a spirit of legalism that has started to rise up in these churches. And that spirit of legalism is happening because there are a lot of Jews who have come to the saving grace, the faith and the saving grace of Jesus. They've accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and so they've been saved, but they're still struggling with trying to do the works of the law in order to earn their righteousness. So their view is that it's Jesus and these things that earns their righteousness. It's never Jesus and anything. It's just Jesus. And so Paul is combating this, and he's coming against that spirit of legalism, and he spends a whole lot of time through the beginning and most of that letter speaking about it's not about your works. It's about grace. It's not about upholding the law and doing good works that keeps you righteous or makes you righteous. It's just about grace. One of the things, for example, that they were doing, the Jews who'd come to the faith in Christ, is that they thought that the Gentiles, the non-Jews who were getting saved as well through the gospel acceptance, they felt like that they also needed to go and get circumcised. Now, can you imagine that, Rodrigo? I mean, as a grown man, like, hey, welcome to the faith. So excited, buddy. We're going to get you in next step classes and everything. There's just one more thing we need to do to seal the deal. No pun intended on that, by the way. We just need to go in the back room. We're going we're gonna to make this thing legit. I got my knife right here. <laughs> You're going to be like, I'm going to have to think about it. Yeah, I'm going to pray on that one. But you know, these were the kind of things that they were doing. And can I just tell you something? A spirit of legalism is still alive in the world today and trying to pervade the mentality of the church. Still trying to get people to think they have to earn it or they're not worthy or they don't deserve. If they don't do things, God is mad at them and he wants to punish them. It's just, it's a, it's a pervasive mentality, okay? And so Paul is combating this in uh, this letter. And at the very end, he just sort of pops this thing in there that you notice if you read the whole letter. He, he goes through the whole thing saying, it's not about works, it's about grace. You can't earn salvation, you can't earn righteousness. But at the very end, he says, but you have to do good works. You have to do good works and there's a reason why you have to continue doing good works. And, he, and those are the verses that we just read. And I feel like right now we can see the need as much as ever for the church to recognize, I'm not saved by my works, but as a part of the body of Christ, I must be busy about doing good works that God has called me to if we're going to see something significant in our land. So Paul's writing style here is one of an allegorical style. And what that means is he takes a concept, in this case, reaping and sowing. He takes a concept and he speaks about a concept 
that has natural laws. You sow and you reap. When it comes to agriculture and harvest time, we know that is a natural law. And he uses the principles of that natural law to parallel them with spiritual laws and truths that have deeper meaning. It's called an allegorical style. Jesus did things similar to this. He spoke in parables, right? He told stories, and those stories had deeper meanings. He was the master of it, by the way. And so Paul is writing here in an allegorical style, and he's talking about sowing seed and reaping a harvest. And the implications there are that sowing seed is doing good works and reaping a harvest is then the, when the results of doing those good works come in. And the blessing and rewards of God come back to his children for their faithfulness. And so the title of the message today is Harvest Times. Harvest Times. So let me ask you a question. Think about this for a second. Are you possibly, maybe you don't even realize it, are you waiting for a harvest to come in? Are you anticipating something to happen as a result of the work that you've been doing? Are you perhaps reaching a point of dissatisfaction that it's not happening as quickly as you would like it to? I think this message is so important right now today because I believe with all my heart that even though we have many, many terrible and and difficult things going on, that God is doing something significant in this earth. And I believe with all my heart that he's doing something significant in the church. It, It seems like God is actually taking some time to reset a lot of our ecclesiology, the way we view church, the way we approach church, the way we go about church, everything about the way we see that, that God is resetting our ecclesiology in a lot of ways. We've already seen that the church has got a reach that's far greater than within the walls of buildings, and that's been amplified significantly over the last few months. But there's many more things. So I would say, and I'm saying this to myself because I've been wrestling through these issues as well, is if God is doing something, part of us you know, following Christ is yielding our will and turning our will towards God's will. So if he is doing something in the church right now, and he's doing this work in a deep way, why would we want to turn our will away from that instead of towards that and what he is doing? And let me further expand is, as we continue to see so many difficult things happening in our world, struggles that are going on, and we as the body of Christ are sowing seed, planting seed, doing good works, let us not develop some sort of mentality where we get to a point where we just start saying, okay, God, I'm done with it now. I'm ready to move on. God, it's time to turn the page. I'm finished with this, Lord. We're done. We're ready to move on. We've been doing good. I I, I can't 
I'm just tired of it, Lord. I've been nice to these people for too long. I've been loving them for too long. I've been doing it for weeks now, and nothing seems to be changing, Lord. They don't seem to be coming around. I'm done. Let's move on. This is a great threat to the body of Christ right now in the season that we live in, is that we would abandon the seed time because we are frustrated with the harvest that hasn't come in yet. Am I making sense? And so these words, these verses here in Galatians that Paul speaks about, I want to draw a few of the words out of these verses that I believe really speak to the heart of what we as the church need to be really focused on, praying about, and and busy in this time right here that we're in. The first word is sowing. So we know that sowing seed is the equivalent of good works, right? So let's let's just categorize this as any spirit-led prayers, any actions, any form of serving, any spirit-led giving, uh, any words of encouragement. I mean, you just categorize any of those things. We'll just call good seed, right? Good works that we're busy about the business of doing. And he says that God will not be mocked in this thing. Now, that should really get your attention, right? That language, God will not be mocked. And what does he say? He says, whatever a person sows, that is what that person will also reap. Now, We've been very fortunate and privileged to meet a lot of farmers in our community here and over in Jerseyville as well now, and just really respect every one of them and the work ethic and all that. Um, But what's interesting is I've never met a farmer yet that went out and planted corn in the springtime, and then whenever the crop started to come in, looked at the crop and said, well, by golly, that's a weird thing. I I I wanted wheat. And I got corn. I mean, I know I planted corn, but I was expecting wheat to come in, not corn. You're like, what are you talking about? You, that's what you planted. That's what you got, right? right? I'm trying to reduce these things down to very simple terms for us to understand because what he's saying is God is not mocked in this. Whatever you choose to sow and you are sowing seed of some quality It's just a matter of what quality of seed you're sowing. Whatever it is, that is what you are going to harvest. That is what's going to come in. And so let me just ask you a question. Are you possibly getting a harvest right now that you don't like? Is the result of things that are coming into your life possibly not lining up with what you really feel like God's called you to do and where he called you to be? Could it be possibly that you are harvesting something that is a direct result of the seed that you sown in a previous season? Let me say it another way. Are you reaping what you've sown? Right? I mean, that's like one of the most cliche statements that we hear a billion times. But all of a sudden, when you read Galatians 6, 7 through 10, it's just not so cliche. It's very potent and very, very powerful. He says that you're going to reap what you sow. Make no mistake about it. And he says, you can sow two different kinds of crop. You can sow to the flesh, and then you will reap corruption. Or you can sow to the spirit, and you'll reap something of eternal 
significance. Reminds me of the words of Jesus when he said, don't store up worldly treasure for yourselves that moth and rust come in and decay and destroy, but store up for yourself heavenly treasure that moth and rust cannot come in and steal or destroy or decay. He's saying that one leads to corruption and one leads to eternal significance. It's like saying you can sow different kinds of seed and one kind of seed can actually lead to a harvest that is rotting and deteriorating, or one can actually lead to a crop that's actually flourishing. I don't know about you, but I want the latter of those two. So let's inspect our lives. What does the quality of the seed that we've been sowing look like? Let me encourage you a little bit more. God says in his word that he actually will bring the seed into the sower's hand. So if we're looking for him and praying and seeking him, he'll actually put the right kind of seed into your hands to do something with. He says this also in these verses about sowing. He says, while ever there is an occasion, do good. Wow. While ever there is an occasion. Proverbs says it like this. Whenever it is in the power of your hand to do good, then you must act. So he's saying we need to always be busy about the works of God and spreading good seed day after day after day. Not some of us, all of us, to really enrich the environment around us. And if we're not sowing that seed, then that soil will be void of the quality that it needs to produce the kind of crop that we all say we want to see. Wow. And so we must continue to plant those seeds day in and day out. He says, while ever there is an occasion to do good, you need to do that. Here's what I found sometimes people do is they look around and they think, well, I don't like the field. There's always a field to plant in, okay? There's always dirt. But sometimes people look around and say, I don't really like the field. I don't like the scenery. I don't like this dirt. I feel like I need to be over in that field. Yeah, that's 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 where I need to be. I'm going to spend my time waiting to get moved to that field. I'm just, you can have this field. And the problem with that is, is that we begin to look upon our present condition in a way that removes us from actually planting seed in the soil that we're at right now. There's always a field. And if you choose not to plant seed and do good, because you just think it's not worth it, or you just think that this isn't where you're supposed to be, whatever it might look like. Yeah, you may get moved to that other field at a future season. It may very well be what God intends to do. But if you refuse to plant seed now in the soil that you are actually finding yourself surrounded by, you might miss an entire harvest cycle that God wants to bring in for you. And you could deplete the soil of richness and enrichment that God wants to leave there as a deposit after he moves you on. Oh, man, that's some gut check stuff right there, isn't it? I don't want to leave a field in a barren condition that I was supposed to be responsible for cultivating and nurturing while I was there when someone else comes along after that and continues to work in it. The church, good works right now. The world needs it. We need to be planting seed. We need to be continually doing that despite what the growth or harvest externally looks like before it gets here. 
And, and we know that the other thing he says about sowing, this brings me to my second point, is that we reap. Now, I love this because there's a promise here. If you see that, he says, you shall reap. Ecclesiastes and Psalms say, when you enjoy the fruit of your labor, not if you enjoy the fruit of your labor. He says, it's a promise. If you do these things, then you will reap a harvest. So the second one is reaping. But he says it like this. He says, you will reap that harvest in due time. Oh, there it is. There it is. I just like to reap the harvest part. Due time. Okay. What's that all about, Lord? Go ahead. Hit me with it, right? He says, well, due time, what that means is a point of full maturity. It means fully nourished, fully developed, and fully grown. So, very clearly what he's saying is every seed that you plant has a, culture, a nurturing and a growth cycle, and there is a point that it will get to that it will become of full maturity. But it's not until then that it's ready for the harvest. Right? Think about this. We've got all this corn that's growing up right now. I think most of us probably know that corn is harvested in the fall. But what would you say if today on your way home as you're driving in, you look around and all the farmers are out on their combines and they're all harvesting the corn right now. You're like, what? You're crazy. What are you doing? You're bringing in that harvest prematurely. It's not ready. You're not going to have the fruit that you want. You need to wait a little longer until it reaches its full maturity. And this is the part that we struggle with because we want the growth to happen almost to the point where we can sow seed, but then we don't have to wait any longer than we want to wait for the harvest part to come in. In fact, what we want typically, I've got a little video. Can we put that up there? This is, this is kind of what we want a lot of times. Oh, that's great. Oh, I just planted that seed yesterday. Oh, that is just fantastic. We want the time-lapse video, don't we? <laughs> but God says, it's not, a, it's not for you to know seasons and times that I've appointed. So this is, this is where faith comes in. We don't know what God's full maturity looks like, what due time looks like for the seed that we're planting. And we're used to, we like the things that we can just know. Like we know plant corn in the spring, going to get a crop in the fall. Most crops have an annual cycle of growth. We know the Olympics come around every four years. We know Katie has a kid every two years. Like we know these things, okay? I'm not speaking prophetically right now, okay? <laughs> we know these things, but we don't know God's growth cycles. It's, it's not in our ability to know that. So we have to continue planting, and we have to continue watering and nurturing, and when God says it's time to bring in the harvest, then it's time to bring in the harvest. I don't know another way to say that. It's up to Him. 
And when that happens, we have to trust and know that that's when it's reached the point of full maturity. I mean, also encourage you that God will not allow that harvest to stay on the vine longer than it's ready because then it gets stale. He has an intended time and an appointed time for that harvest. But here's what I would say to you. I don't think you're ever going to reap great harvests if you don't learn to love the growing cycle. You've got to learn to love the growing cycle, not resent the growing cycle. <laughs> let, let me hit you with this too. God says you shall reap a harvest. But according to scripture, to me, it is very clear that there are a lot of the rewards and the fruit and the harvest that we actually won't see until we get to the other side. There are crowns of glory that await for us. There are things that God has prepared for rewards that he will bestow upon us in heaven when we get there. And so I would just ask you, are you okay living your life knowing that you may see some harvests in this lifetime and others you won't see until the other side? Are you okay with that? Or is your planting and sowing contingent upon needing to see that harvest? I hope not, because the world is going to be hurting if it is, and that's the way the people of God are approaching their good works and their labor and service to the Lord. You know, you also, when you reap, this is really cool, you reap in multiples of what you sow. Crops continue to compound and produce thicker and heavier crops the more seasons that they go on. That's exciting. And what I think about with that is I think, I just need to always be planting Seed, John. I just I need to always be planting seed so that as I go through my life in every season, I'm there's always some kind of a harvest that's coming in. Which ones I don't know, and what year I sowed those seeds, I don't really know. But if I'm sowing enough seed all the time, then the laws of multiplication kick in, and my life is going to be lived where I'm always planting and I'm always harvesting results of what I've done for the Lord in previous times. We, we have these, uh, these tomato plants. We tried to grow a garden in our house a few years ago, and we just kind of killed everything. I don't know what it was, but it didn't work out. And so we just said, forget it, you know, we'll just leave it go. Well, then... As soon as we did that, all of a sudden, we've got the best tomato plants that just started growing out of some area in the front of our yard that we have no idea where they came from. But somebody sowed some seed there. I mean, somebody dropped some seed of some really good tomatoes, and it had nothing to do with us, but it just continues to grow because it gets great sun and great rain, and they're like the best tomato plants. I mean, we can't do it that good. It's just... But my point is, is that if seed is always being sown, there's always going to be some harvest coming in. It will always be enriching your life. You just may not know when and where it's coming from, but that's okay. It's a blessing from the Lord to be enjoyed. I love that because he also wired something into us to enjoy and appreciate the harvest as well. Not to be contingent upon doing good, but that it's a blessing that we get to be able to enjoy. I love that. So we, we sow and we reap. But the last word that I want to draw your attention to here in these few verses is the word weary. Because in this truth that he lays out and these principles that he gives us, there's also a warning. And that's usually how things come. There's also a warning. 
And here's what the warning is. He says, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in planting seed. For in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Other translations say, if you do not get faint, if you do not give up, or if you do not quit. Wow. What a huge risk, folks, that we would get to a point where we would be willing to just throw in the towel. I've had it, Lord. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Really? I'm done. I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm quitting. No more planting. No more sowing. Not in that field, at least. I've had enough. And then we become faint to the point of losing heart. We throw in the towel. And the problem with that is, is that once we get to that place, it's very easy to start getting bitter with God. And we think God didn't do what he was supposed to do. Here's Here's the very important thing to realize. Hebrews tells us, That bitterness is the root of all forms of evil and sinfulness. And if we grow bitter with God, how much do you think we open the door for the enemy to lead us astray into all kinds of temptation? And now the people of God are living like the world instead of being the difference makers. The enemy has very wise tactics. He says, don't grow weary. Now here's what that word means. We, we, know, we know what weary means, like if we went out and had a hard day. If we all went out and just worked in the fields or in the yard, and it's a 90, 100 degree day, we did that for hours and hours, and we came in, we'd just fall down on the couch, and be like, I'm weary, man. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm ready to rest and recharge, right? But this weariness that he's speaking about is not physical fatigue. It's not that kind of weary you got to study it to see this. But it actually means an inner weariness, a spiritual fatigue, something where you grow discouraged to the point of wanting to quit. There's the warning. Don't stop sowing seed when you're not seeing the harvest the way you want to. Do you get that? You'll become weary if you're too attached to harvest timing instead of just sowing seed and keeping it watered. Now listen to the way that Paul says this in another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. He says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying you're responsible for planting and you're responsible for watering, but only God is responsible for for the growth. Only God is responsible for the increase. Let me tell you another thing I've never seen these farmers do. I've never seen them go out into the field and get down after they've planted and watered and fertilized, done everything they can. I've never seen them go out and get down on the ground and get in front of the corn and be like, grow! 
Come on, Corey, grow! I'm your pastor. Let me just remind you of that. Okay. What's that say about you? All right. You'd think that there are nutcases. Like, you may be thinking about me right now, but that's okay. Why are they trying to make it grow? They can't make it grow. I mean, they create the conditions. They plant, they water, they fertilize, they weeds. They, like, we create the conditions. But only God can make it grow. And any time, please hear me, hear me, any time that we try to assume responsibility for something that Jesus entirely assumes responsibility for, we will become weary because you can't carry it. He said, I will build my church. That means if Matt Heck tries to build his church, he'll become weary. And I've been there, and I've experienced it. It's easy to slip into these places. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Now, he did tell us to go and share the gospel. He did tell us to go and make disciples. He did tell us to lay hands on the sick. He did tell us to cast out demons. But he said, I, Jesus, will build my church. We create the conditions, but God brings the growth. And I've found that sometimes it's hard to see the growth through the natural eye, right? We, I was gone, a couple weeks ago, I was gone for, I don't know, like two days, and I came back, and when I came back, I was like, whoa, look at the corn. Man, that corn really grew. Just in a few days, they say it can grow like almost six inches a day at certain points of the year. So I came back after a few days, I looked at it, and I said, wow, that, that corn really shot up. The evidence of the growth was very obvious. But if I was to go out there today, pop up a lawn chair, set it down right next to the field, and just start watching it, and Katie would say, what in God's name are you doing out there? And I would say, I'm just watching the corn grow. It's growing, honey. Look at it. It's growing. Oh, a micrometer. It just grew. Did you see that? It's just so fun to watch. You can't really see it growing. But the farmers know it's growing because they've created the conditions for it to grow. You you might say that there's a kind of faith about them that they know that harvest is going to come in, that that crop is going to grow once they've created the conditions. Here's what I'm telling you. You need to sow seed and you need to water seed. But you may not be able to look at it through the natural eye and say that you see evidence that it's growing right now. But you need to be able to stand in a place of faith that says, I know God is bringing the increase. I know he's growing this thing. In fact, it's growing right now in this very moment. But it's so deep beneath the surface that I can't even really peer into it. But over seasons of time, we can look back, can't we, and say, my, look what God done in that year. My, look what God did over those years of time in my life. And we can have faith that that harvest is going to come in. When? We just don't know. One last thing I'll hit you with is the farmers, one of the things that they will typically do with their crops is they will purchase something that's called crop insurance. 
So in the event of some kind of disaster, hailstorm, locust, I mean, you know, whatever, if some way they have a crop failure, there's an insurance policy that they can lay claim to that can reimburse them and actually reward them for what they would have brought in for that crop. Now, that's in the natural. But I want to tell you today that the promises of God that are spiritual are above everything that is natural. And if God says, you plant and you water, you shall reap a harvest, there will be increase. You don't need any crop insurance. You don't need any plan B. And you don't need to be in a situation where you're thinking, I'm going to do this, but if God doesn't come through, then I'm going to have to have a backup plan to take care of this myself to fix these things. You've got to know in everything in you that when you're planting and when you're watering seed, that God is doing a supernatural work. He's bringing an increase, and there is a harvest that's coming in. And it may be your children or your children's children or their children that see it. I don't know, but there will be a harvest that God brings in for his people when he says it's time. Hallelujah. We've got to keep planting and keep watering seed. We cannot get weary. We cannot get tired of doing what we need to do because the conditions are hard. Hey, some ground is really tough and really hard and really difficult to plow, but it can still be plowed, it can still be planted, and it can still be harvested. The conditions of the soil, I acknowledge, are very hard right now in our nation, very hard right now in our community. But if you and I and the people of God aren't willing to break the ground and sow the seed and water it and keep on doing it and not throw in the towel, then what's the future going to look like for people? We have to be ready to do this and continue enriching the environment around us, not getting weary and, and stop sowing seed. And certainly not starting to throw bad seed where good seed needs to be sown. Repaying evil for evil instead of evil with good. Quality of the seed we're sowing in our daily life has everything to do with the quality of the harvest our generations will reap in the future. Close with this question. Invite the team to come back up. Why does a fish swim? Why does a fish swim? You guys are like, this dude is so deep, man. He's so deep. <laughs> wow. Never thought about it. I, I would just say, you say it different ways. I would say it like this. A, a fish swims because it's a fish. There you go. You can tweet that. It's less than 144 characters. It's really good. A, a fish swims because it's a fish. Um, it doesn't swim because it only likes to get wet. It, it doesn't swim just because it likes to be refreshed. Because if the water was too cold or the water was too hot, then it wouldn't want to swim. A fish swims because it's a fish. Because it's created that way. Why do we plant seed? Why do we do good works? Not to earn righteousness, but because God has made us righteous and he calls us to it. Why do we do good works? 
Why do we plant seed in every generation of our lives? Do we do it just to reap a harvest? I hope not. Because if our motive is tied to the result, then when the result isn't what we want, it can begin to steer our actions. I think it's like this. I think we do good works because as a child of God, we're created to do good works. It's our purpose. It's part of our calling. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Here you go. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. We do it because God created us to do it. And as we do, it's a part of how we worship and honor and obey Him and praise God. He uses us as part of His plan to advance His kingdom in a lost and hurting and dying world. I pray today that we will embrace this and we will take our place in the fields of our lives and begin to get to work sowing good seed that we can have faith that the changes and transformation that we want to see happen will be in our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet today? And I want to ask you this question. If you're here and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I heard a lot of that. I got some of it, not all of it. Not sure about you yelling at corn and all that, but in the midst of this whole thing, I, I got to say, I feel like God is actually tugging at my heart. I, I got to say, I feel like right now that this isn't me or emotion, but that God is really drawing me and I need to do something about this. Maybe you have never given your life to Christ. Saints quietly prayed. Maybe you have never given your life to Christ before. You've never made him Lord. Maybe you've heard the stories, sure, been to services, enjoyed some church functions, but at the end of the day, you have never really opened your heart to Jesus and made him Lord of your life and surrendered your will to his so that he could actually lead you and you could live for him and not for yourself. If you've never done that, today is your day. And I announce to you, according to Scripture, that you can't earn this. I hope that liberates you. You can't earn this. It's just an invitation that Jesus is offering by way of grace. He already paid the price with his blood and with his life so that you could receive this forgiveness and receive this new life that he has for you. He paid the price because you never could. Say, Pastor, I've, I've never really reached that point. I've never made that decision. I appeal to you. Today is your day. Do not leave here without responding to the invitation that is knocking at the door of your heart. And Jesus is saying, will you let me in? He'll come in. He'll make you new, a new creation. You'll have God's spirit living on the inside of you. You'll be born again. And you will have salvation in heaven secured. And you will be able to be empowered to live a life that you're called to, that you cannot live apart from God's grace upon you. If that's you, or maybe you're a person who says, I, I have walked with God. I have lived that life. I was in church. I was really walking with Jesus. But somewhere along the line, I don't know, I just got steered off track. I just, 
wound up somewhere and doing things on my own and living in my own strength. And I don't know how I got there, but I'm there. And I just need to get back to walking with Jesus. Maybe the enemy is making you think. He's lying to you, telling you, well, you're going to have to go all kinds of way to do that. You're going to have to do all kinds of things. You've done so much stuff. It's going to take forever for you to get back to walking with Jesus. You might as well just forget about that. I'm here to tell you that Jesus' blood will cleanse you from every sin as far as the east is from the west. He will meet you right where you are at your point of repentance, and he will offer forgiveness that's sweeter than honey. And it will satisfy your soul, and he will begin to reveal to you the God that he wants to be in your life to lead you into your destiny. If everyone could just bow their head and close their eyes for a moment, I want to ask you all over this place today, if you're ready to respond to Jesus today, to give your heart to him or to come back to him in either of those situations, this is your day. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not about the words. It's just about you meaning business with God today. You say, I need it, I want it, and now's my day. If that's you, on the count of three, would you raise your hand while every head is bowed and every eye closed? I want to see who you are. I want to lead you in this prayer. One, two, three. I need Jesus. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Is there anyone else? It's the Lord's tugging at your heart. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Say, this is my day. I'm ready. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. Eternity hangs in the balance. We cannot reject Christ and expect to inherit salvation. We must receive him. Is there anyone else in this place today that says, yes, pastor, I'm ready. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. I feel like this, this moment was for you. God's getting ready to meet you right where you are. I feel like the Lord is saying something to you. He's saying, I see your hurt. I see your pain. You've been crying out to me. You've been asking me, where are you, God? I've been there. I've never left you. I've seen everything that you've been through. And I'm receiving you into my arms today as you're coming back to me. And I am going to begin to lead you down a path of forgiveness and restoration. Today is a new day. I've got some new things planned for you. Behold, it's going to spring forth like life like plants and trees that are growing up in a desert environment. You feel like, how could something grow right now in this environment that I'm in? But God says, I'm the God who can make things grow in a desert land. Watch and see what I won't do, says the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, you just this is your prayer. Lord, I give my life to you today. I surrender my will and I give my heart to Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, come and live on the inside of me. Jesus, make your home in me and with me. I turn from my old life and my old ways in the flesh, and I turn entirely to you. I want to live for you, and I want to live for you alone, God. Thank you for making me a new creation. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Help me to become the person that you're creating me, that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name ma'am and others who raise your hand, I announce to you today that there is a destiny on your life. You will not just get by, but you will flourish. God came, Jesus came, so that you could not just have life, but have it abundantly, which is everything that he has for you. I'm excited about that today. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord praise. Woo!